Welcome back. I want to take a quick second to tell you about our sponsor of today's episode of North American Deer Talk, CNE Wildlife Products. CNE Wildlife is a trusted leader in biotechnology for the cervid industry. They offer microencapsulated bacteria products that are research supported through Texas Tech University. With more than 30 years of experience and commitment to all natural probiotics, this product line continues to be a mainstay in herd management programs across North America. And the reason is simple. They are passionate about the cervid industry. They have products for elk, whitetail, muleys, red deer, and more. With products ranging from Fawn Paste and Electromax to Guardian Plus, Whitetail Energy Pack, Jumpstart, or their ever-popular Top Score Extreme, they just flat out work. We've been a CNE Wildlife product user for more than 15 years. To learn more about CNE Wildlife, check out episode 54 of North American Deer Talk, a probiotics masterclass with CNE owner Sadie Horrocks, and give her a call today to start using the products we do here. Hey, it's the Deer Wizard, host of North American Deer Talk. I want to tell you about a great new advertising and research platform that we've developed for you, CWDbreeding.com. You know, as the deer industry continues to mature and develop around chronic wasting disease and its known genetic heritability, resources like CWDbreeding.com become essential tools for deer managers across the country making decisions about their herds. I really wanted a platform that excelled at hosting GBV and codon markers in a filterable and searchable manner, but I also wanted to have high quality pictures, videos, ages, scores, NADAR numbers, and a whole host of other information to go along with that. This database puts everything in one easy to find location and allows you to access the industry's greatest genetic resources. I look forward to seeing all the great bucks that people have to offer in one easy to find location, cwdbreeding.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of North American Deer Talk. This is episode 90. Um, so I was like sitting in front of my notepad. I know I haven't seen you all in a while. I'm sorry. Um <clears throat> I was like, oh, I'm going to do this show or I'm going to do this show. And I'm trying to come up with my show notes and my title. And then I, I looked at my pen, Embassy Suites, Embassy Suites Hilton pen. And I just dropped it on my pad. And I said, I'm going to hit record and we're going to see where this goes. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. I'm just going to start going off about something. Um, so we'll work through that together. Um I I might title this the unknown episode. I don't know. Um, let's see. What day is it today? I'm going to give you the exact date. Uh, and hopefully I can get this produced and out to you guys in a, in a timely manner. It is Friday, August 25th. Okay. Just for context. <clears throat> Thank you all for joining me for another show. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. You don't like YouTube, head over to Rumble. We do it over there too. Listen on the podcast. That's awesome. You can find us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, Apple Podcasts, etc. cetera. Um, all the work we do is posted at Servid Solutions. 
You can check us out on Instagram. We got a Facebook page. We got a North American Deer Talk page. We got our website, www.servitesolutions.com. That's the industry's health management platform. We sell vaccines. We try to talk about health. We talk about all things deer. I love deer. It is what I do. It is my favorite thing. So, boy, there is a ton going on. Um, we all interact with each other a lot on Facebook. That's where a lot of the action I see is. It's an easy social media platform to use. There's lots of different whitetail groups. Um, there's more starting all the time. We have our conventions where you get to see each other kind of in person. Um, so I did, um, I did, uh, the 30, 32nd, 33rd annual elk convention at the end of, uh, July. And that was out in uh, South Dakota. Uh, thank you to Neba for having me out and, um, great crowd is my first first elk event. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, when I came back, I, this is not something that can happen. I don't have the space, but I wanted some elk. So, um, elk are, elk are awesome. I just can't, I can't do it here where I am, but it doesn't mean that I can't be involved in that, that industry. That is certainly a, a brother sister cousin industry of, of the whitetail world. Um, but whitetails, whitetails what I know. Um, and I, I'm, I'll continue to, to learn about the elk business. A lot of, a lot of parody there. I mean, a lot, a lot of parody. So, um, I look forward to continuing to develop those relationships, um, you know, with some of the, the elk, elk folks and, um, just a, just a, it was a neat event. I, re, I really liked it. So that was at the end of July. Got to do, um, got to do a farm tour out there. Shout out, uh, Greg Leonard's, um, Greg's got a really cool operation. Uh, I enjoyed the hospitality. Thank you for the steaks. Um, it was good stuff. Enjoyed my visit a bunch with them. So uh, fast forward a couple weeks, we had uh, TDA or the Texas Deer Association Convention. Uh, I've been doing those uh, with very few uh, misses for about ten years, maybe a little longer. Um, it's a not a lot of northern guys that come to that anymore. It's a it's a bit of a travel, you know. It's in San Antonio, so you know where I am. It's like a 22, 23 hour drive. Um, definitely not something I want to do. Hop on a plane. Sure. Um, but then I gotta, I gotta send all my boost stuff down. So I've, I've tried to trim my, my, the amount of stuff that I send down just cause it's, it's expensive. Like if I, I lived much more local, you know, I could just load up my, my truck or my trailer and head on over. That'd be fine. But it's a, it's a project for me to get down. So definitely, uh, definitely an investment for our, our company to head down there and, and set up a booth. But I, I really, you know, I've, I've developed a bunch of friendships down there and, um, I really, I really like Texas a bunch. I can, I can pass on the heat 
um, you know, I stepped off the, the plane and it was like 102, 103 degrees. Um, and that was later in the evening. I can, I can live without that, but I like the people. I like the ideas. I like the, I like the approach that many have taken for the, um, general concept of scientific deer breeding, stocking pastures, improving land and habitat. Those things resonate with me a bunch and they've used that fence as a incredible tool and they've had pretty good messaging about it. So, um, whether that, whether the, the TDA and the people that I just described that do that are necessarily tied together, maybe not specifically, but, um, there's certain, a lot of, a lot of carryover. And I, I know that there is, I know there's a ton of turmoil going on in, in Texas. Um, and I don't even know a tiny percentage of the specific situations and all the different people that have been affected by the, uh, kind of draconian parks and wildlife, um, regulatory environment and how their, how their system works. It's, it's, it's quite different. Um, I, I have lived, I have, I have a little bit of empathy for, or I can, I can feel some empathy, uh, towards these folks because I I've lived it. Um, I've gone through a quarantine an extended quarantine for a trace out, um, almost two years worth. And it, it's hard. This was in, in 2017 for me. And I've, I've told, I've told this story before. I'm not going to, I'm not going to rehash it, but, um, there was less options then in the North than there are today. And the fact that we have an incredible toolbox to work with, it blows my mind that we're, that we're in a place in Texas from a policy and regulatory standpoint that mimics what we had going on here in the North and, and maybe in some states state still does, um, even back in 2017 here in Pennsylvania. Um, it's incredibly frustrating. And I, I, I get that, um, I get that the emotions are at all time high. There's, there's a ton of challenges. And then I see all the, I see all the little bits of good things that are, that are coming to light and, and people that are, engaged and developing their thoughts because they've been thrust into this, or even those that, that haven't been thrust into this, but see the value in expressing their, their thoughts and their concerns, their expertise and their knowledge. It's encouraging. It's really encouraging. And I, I want you all to know, however, wherever you are in any state, um, especially you all in Texas, because I know there's been hearings and um, and commission meetings like all real, real recently. And I know there's a, like there's 
there's a new initiative that was put forth and we'll, I'll try to touch on that a little bit. There's, I mean, I can talk a long time on this, but, um, it's, I, I think that uh, unfortunately there's, there's so much wrong that has gone on and there's a huge, there's a huge power struggle. And I've seen people use words like corruption. That's probably a good one. Corruption. Um, it's, it's, a. It's it's hard it's hard to it's hard to express how I feel about it because I have um when I got quarantined I was pissed and I wasn't pissed that I got quarantine I was pissed that I I couldn't fix it people were not listening to what I said you know I had sold a dough guess we're going to get into this I had sold a dough and four zero months later, that animal tested positive for CWD. Now it went from my place, Northern PA, no CWD, to Southern PA into an endemic zone. The endemic zone wasn't quite endemic when it started um, based on the very limited testing that was going on in the wild. Of course, we had plenty of testing in our farmed animals, mortality testing, right? Postmortem testing. And in 2012, right? 2012, they found the first positive case in the wild. They found uh, three in Bedford County. I sold into Bedford County. The first deer farm that went positive was in 2017, right? That was the trace out that ended up affecting me. So it's clear to me and anybody that has any sort of common sense, especially now, it's easier to look back now um, because the landscape has changed with what we know about CWD, how it moves, how, how it infects incubation times, all that stuff, right? that the wild deer infected this herd and um, I sold the Gigi doe and she went positive. She was a lymph node only, one lymph node. So it was a very early stage infection. I had been doing testing a long time and we were implementing call programs. Um, we were just starting to get really into the call program. So I had plenty of testing that went on and I had sold... I don't know how many bucks, but call it 20 bucks a year for the past 10 years. Well, all those went to hunting ranches. And if any would have any of them would have been positive, we would have found that through our testing, right? So like I have all these tests, even though they weren't on my farm, um, I had some, right? Like I, I think I had over a hundred, something like that um, over the course of my time. And we have a relatively small farm as we've talked about. So everything pointed to the infection not coming from our facility. And no matter what I did, I could not make improvements to my commerce opportunities with any type of rational conversation. And that's what got me angry. 
we were just starting to get some tools. Live testing was just coming on where we were. And we just tried and tried and tried to make this thing go. And I, I worked really hard for six months. So I got, I got quarantined uh, August 7th, 2017. And for the next six months, like, you know, I was on lockdown, obviously. And I just, I worked really hard. Um, not only from a legal standpoint, uh, with our lawyer, but also from a policy standpoint and a, a regulatory one with our, our ag department. And, and that's challenging. And I know that, I know that many of you have either experienced something along those lines or are experiencing them and you're feeling that same frustration and I'm just going to use my example as a story. I'm not comparing what happened to me to what's happening to any of you. Um, but I want to use it to highlight um, where we are today, where I am today. So I had, my farm was full. We were counting on our fall sale. We were a month away from fall sales, right? As I had a bunch of mature bucks, three-year-olds, four-year-olds that needed to go out of the door quickly. Lots of does, lots of fawns. I was full. And I couldn't sell them. And, you know, I tried to do my best to manage the animals. But I ended up having to call 26 does. A lot of does large portion of my herd deer. I paid lots of money for not because they told me I had to, or they were part of a, you know, like a trace out where I was going to get released. It was, it was because I, I couldn't, I couldn't keep them the way I wanted to keep them healthy, afford to feed them, you know, that kind of thing. And the bucks, you know what the bucks did. So, you know, I tried to use, I tried to use the tools that I had, um, to keep those guys alive. And it was hard. I lost, I lost more deer than I care to, to say. Um, and that was a hard, that was a hard time for me. And I was, I was mad. I was really mad for a long time. I'm still mad about it thinking back, but that's all, that's all past. So Long story short, on the quarantine, got off February 2019. So two hunting seasons I missed. Then I had to ride out from February all the way to the following year to sell bucks again because I didn't have harvestable bucks in February, right? So technically, it was a, you know, 28 month quarantine or something like that. And that experience got me real bitter on my interactions with government. And as I, as I continued to try to work as part of our deer association in our state, um, 
with legislators and and you know the, the policymakers and our regulatory or Department of Ag, et cetera. Um, my my animosity must have been showing through. So I was I was told by a few people. This was later on that it would be wise of me to uh, change my tenor and my tone about how I approach things. And I reflected on that for a while. And I decided to make a conscious decision um, to be to be the best that I could be or be a better a better advocate for the industry. And this doesn't mean that I sacrifice my principles as a person. Um, it means that that if I'm going to play in in the sandbox that is government, and and I know a lot of you are not happy about that. Like, let me just I'll say this up front. If I could, if I could, um, if I could not interact with government, I would I would be happy. And I suspect many of you just want to live your lives, raise your family, have a community, live a good life, stay on your edge. I get that. I want that too. Um, and and all this stuff comes back to to chronic wasting disease, unfortunately, right? So I I took up. It took me a while to kind of mentally uh, work through this this kind of premise and. This has served me well, and I'll, I'm going to share a little bit more of maybe what we're doing here in PA. I think that'll be a good good place for us to go. Um, I start off with the premise that uh, CWD is a real disease, okay? I don't want to talk about the... I'm not... I'm not saying that the politics are correct or the policy is correct. I'm saying that the disease itself is a real disease. I've heard many people uh, say that the, the, the disease doesn't kill deer and that, you know, it's not as bad as what they say it is and, like I, 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 I can understand where they're coming from, but I'll say this for those people that I've talked to that have had CWD on their farm for extended period, periods of time, their mortality rate of their animals is much, much higher than mine. Are their animals dying from CWD? Like those people specifically, some but they're dying from all sorts of other health challenges. And I don't think that we can manage a prion disease with feedstuffs and antibiotics and probiotics and all of those things. I, I don't think that that's, that's the route to go. Um, so starting with that premise in your mind that CWD is a real disease and then figuring out a solution to that to the disease, right? That has served me 
incredibly well in my conversations with those who regulate me or legislators who have control over, and I'll say that lightly, I'm air quoting control over those that make policy and regulation. Um, because we we know we know that fourth pillar of go- government, the bureaucratic state, is a is a bear to deal with, right? You got a bunch of un- unelected people. I got it. So premise one, the disease is a real disease. Um, how do we solve the disease? I know many of you think that it's not worth the time, and it it may not be. I I don't know. All I know is there is enough, it appears to me that there is enough built up reinforcement of agencies and bureaucrats and and science on prion disease that this issue is not going away. It's not. Now... I look at that and I just say, what can I do about it? First step is I don't want the disease. Could I deal with it if it got here? Maybe. Not sure. I don't need any more challenges in my life. Raising raising deer can be hard. Raising animals is hard, right? If it wasn't hard, I wouldn't do it. I want, I appreciate the challenge. I don't know what it is about white-tailed deer. I, I can't get away from them. They're right outside these walls. I I I can't I can't get away from them. I would I would <laughs> I'd be upset if I had to. Really upset. And I can I can only imagine those of you that have gone through depopulation and that's that's tough stuff. I'm sorry for that. I don't want to experience that. Because these deer are special. They really are. And there's a lot of value in that for a lot of people in their lives. They've they found something that has deep meaning to them. Maybe it brings their families closer together. Maybe that there's this, this common um, place where they can interact with friends and family relating to white-tailed deer and, and, and hunting that has deep meaning to them. I suspect that's the case. So anyway, I'm sorry for all those that have gone through a bunch of BS with the government. Um, it's crazy. It's totally crazy. So anyway, do I want the disease? No, I don't. And the key the key is to not test positive like that's the metric so how do we do that well we have testing right we have this various diagnostic tools and those are getting better all the time that identifies the disease we also, since we've been told that this is bad, we also need to be able to identify if the test is accurately showing 
the type of CWD that has the potential to be harmful to deer. There's a real possibility that there are that there are things in nature that happen spontaneously, like a spontaneous case of CWD that are benign in nature. I think that's a real thing. We need to know that, especially if we're going to look for it. So that's something. And I think as science continues to go on, um, we'll be able to do that. So that's one. The next part is, is we are seeing continued advancement of our understanding of genetics and their relationship to the disease. And we're not only seeing we're not only seeing this in uh, animals, we're seeing this in people. and and this is the continued effort of uh, science to understand the biological, physiological um, components of disease and how genetics interact with that. So where does that where does that leave us? Well, that leaves us in the place of saying that I don't care about the regulation. And people are just like they're they're screaming at me right now. Just bear with me for one second, please. I don't care about the regulation because I can't change the regulation. I've tried 10 years. I don't have the tools to do it. I've heard so many compelling arguments about this, that, and the other thing. And I've tried to articulate those in a, in a, a compelling way, a positive way, and I've made no headway. Now it could have been my tone or tenor. I, I think I'm, I think I'm well-versed enough to present a compelling case to legislators and provide enough credibility that I can articulate my thoughts pretty well. Certainly not the best. I will continue to work on it. And I hope that, I hope that there's others that will do that. Um, it's not something I particularly like doing. I, I'm in a place now where I feel like I have to do that. So we have a real disease. I don't care so much about the the regulation. I say that with a caveat. Calm down. I'm going to beat the disease. So I want to use... I want to use the tools that we have available and the tools that are rapidly being developed to make sure that I don't go positive. So this is going to include biosecurity. Um, this is going to this is going to include some testing, surveillance, sampling. This is going to include genetics, and today for me. We have our standard surveillance. Um, I'm not a positive facility. 
I don't need to do a bunch. I don't need to do any live testing today. There's no value in that cost exposure to me today. It's not to say that won't be the case in the future. And I'm going to implement genetics that are known to have a lower susceptibility to the disease. And I'm going to do what I do best, and that is breed deer. I feel like I'm pretty good at it. I got lots of things to work on, just like you all do, right? But we can work on those. And like in the past three or four years, you've seen a, a continued improvement in when I say these tools, I mean this our understanding of genetics and how they relate to chronic waste and disease susceptibility. The various number of um diagnostic tools that we have, our understanding of biosecurity in relation to prion diseases. There's a lot of good things that are happening. There is a lot of pain that the industry is experiencing. And we can, we must continue to advocate for each other. If you, if you, if you haven't listened to that show, um, it was a couple back. I don't know the number, you know, it's called advocating for each other. Um, we, we need to keep doing that. We need to help, keep help supporting each other. Um, we've been incredibly fortunate here. Um, I've been active. I've been active in our PDFA board, uh, for 14 years. I've been treasurer for a couple of those, been vice president for a couple of those. I've been president for the past four years of our association. And I suspect many, many people feel a certain way about associations generally. What are they doing? What's going on? And we all can do better about um, interacting with each other. I can do better communicating with, with people about that. Um, I'm a volunteer, right? I, I try to advocate for our industry here in Pennsylvania to the best of my ability to see what the path forward looks like for as many deer farmers as I can. And my instincts, generally speaking, have served our state well. And and I'm I'm not I'm not taking credit for where we are today, which I will describe here in a little bit. Um, the past work of our executive team, and I can, I'll rattle off some presidents: um, Dave Griffith, Steve Stem, George Hazard, Glenn Dice, Jared Berry, myself. Right. Um, if I missed any PDFA presidents, I'm really sorry. Um, but those guys, they've laid the groundwork, you know, and, and, um, you know, um, Glenn, Jared, and I have worked hard on these things and, you know, Glenn and, and Jared have, have been, they were key, key parts of, of, um, the role in which we've kind of shaped our program to be here in the state of Pennsylvania. 
and it's not perfect, right? I'm not, I'm not saying it's perfect, but I've been trying to build off of the work that we've done. And we have, we have now a, a, a real change in how we're looking at uh, CWD. It is no longer an eradication program. And maybe it never was, but it sure seemed like all the onus was on the, the deer farmer and none on the wildlife agencies. And we're starting to see that in our state, we're regulated by ag 100%. And we're starting to see our ag officials really open up our eyes to the possibility that we can beat this disease ultimately. It's a lofty goal, but that we definitely have the tools today to help mitigate that risk um, of spreading the disease around, right? Because we don't we do we don't want to do it. Yes, I get it. There's deer out there walking around right now with CWD and there's no fence to stop them. I understand. That's not what I'm talking about. And so when you when you when you start to have those conversations about what management looks like, I'm going to hop back to Texas. You all have done an incredible job, I think, overall at participating in every single thing that the regulatory agencies have have put on you. Nothing's ever been good enough for them. And they keep dumping and they keep dumping and they keep dumping on you. And it's BS and it has to stop. First, it was some mortality testing. Then it was um, live testing. Then it was live testing to make up for missed mortalities. And then it was live test everything. And then it was live test for release. And then when CWD was found, the live test was no good anymore. That's bull. And I'm glad that you all are are working hard to work on that commission because those guys are out of control. They are doing nothing positive to stop the spread of this dangerous disease anywhere except inside your fences. When you all have the tools and you've been using them today, we forget, they forget. The purpose of the program is to identify the disease, not to prevent it. That's step two, prevention step two, management when you, when you find it. Identifying the disease is incredibly important because then you can remove it from the herd and you can use the other tools to make sure that it's not there you're not spreading it, and that in the future, those future generations will have a susceptibility level that's low enough for them to survive and not replicate that prion. It's pretty simple stuff here. And you have a wildlife agency that is just hell-bent on preventing that from happening. Now, I know you're in a tough spot now in the South. You don't need their permission. You don't need their permission to not get the disease. And if if we can 
make that trajectory of positive, positive, positive farms break, plateau, and start going down, that evidence will be overwhelming that you can show to people in high up places and just continue to advocate um, for less and less regulation then um, based on what we're seeing in the real world, right? So jumping back to PA and I'm going to, I'm going to wrap up um, because I, I know this is, this has been a, a little bit slower conversation because I am trying to, I literally sat down did not know what I was going to talk about and um, just started speaking to you guys. Um, you know, here in PA, when we look at that, the management things that go on, like there are farms and, and people don't want to hear this because they, they've been, and, and when I say people, let me, let me rephrase that. Not, not you good folks, not the, not the people that understand, um, have a deep knowledge of, of, uh, private whitetail management. Um, I'm talking about zealots in the wildlife agencies, right. That just have, they have, they got no love for anything we do. Um, they want to see us stopped and, and, when I say wildlife agencies, I, I mean state, I mean governmental, but I also mean um, conservation groups, those wildlife agencies, because they don't want to hear anything we have to say. And that's unfortunate. They're going to pay for, the, they're going to pay for that in the long run. I think they're going to pay for that in the long run. So we have, we have positive facilities here in PA that are in known endemic zones, wild endemic zones, where there's a thousand cases of CWD and a farm goes positive. And those farms are still in business today and they are working on their genetics and they are working on testing to remove live animals. And they are working on being able to provide income for their farm to operate um, with other facilities, specifically hunting facilities, that um, also want to improve their genetics on their on their ranch, and that ultimately remove animals from the landscape through hunting opportunities. And so far, so good. That's going to keep happening. You know, I again, I I said I don't want this disease, but let's say I went positive here. I'd have to make some hard decisions. I have some animals here that, um, you know, they don't they don't they don't meet the <laughs> the minimum standard, let alone the standard I would think I would need um, if I had a positive facility. And I'd have to work some live testing um, into my program, and I'd have to be pretty aggressive on my genetics and my biosecurity and those things. Um, and a lot of that stuff I'm implementing, I'm trying to move as fast as I can while also considering the economics of my situation, assessing the risk of where I am geographically and those specifically those biosecurity measures like importing animals. Um, even though we know that that's not a tell all, like we know there's been close herds that go positive and so forth, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to work through that. Um, but I, th I think that I could. 
I could make a go at it. And, and we're seeing, we're seeing that there is, that there's light, right? You look at, you look at the, um, ox genetics and ox ranch in, in Texas, right? Um, Dr. Seabury's worked extensively with them to develop a herd plan. And, you know, so far they don't, they don't have any additional CWD. Now, is it possible for that to show up? Sure, I guess. But they've demonstrated through incredibly aggressive approach that you can have a positive facility and then have it not be positive. They've went the other way. They've, quote unquote, cleaned up a herd. Now, <clears throat> can that be done everywhere? Unknown, but it's now been demonstrated that it's possible and we can learn from the management that's been implemented there again to reduce risk because we don't live in a no risk world, right? We, our operations don't exist in a bubble and we need to stop being regulated like they are. See the regulators, it's real easy for them because they sit behind their desk and they may be really nice people, but they they can, with the stroke of a pen, be like, oh, well, this exists in a bubble. And they can just regulate your life away or they can distinguish you as something um, that you're not. So there are there are many of us here in, in Pennsylvania that are actively working to convert our herds to the lowest susceptible genetics that we can create. And um, this is now my my second year of purposeful uh, breeding for um, GBV and, and codon values for my herd. And the the amount of genetic turnover that I've seen on those metrics alone is incredible. It is so rapid. It is so fast. Now, is it enough? I, I don't know. How much does it have to be? I don't know. But what I can tell you is that our regulatory agency is looking at this along with some other tools and saying that this is an excellent strategy to implement. We want to encourage you all to do this. And we are going to provide you with as much incentive as we can and opportunity for commerce if and when CWD shows up and impacts your herd. We're also going to work on our policy and regulatory environment so it stifles business as little as possible in the event that something bad were to happen. That sounds like a normal ag program to me. So kudos to them for taking a common sense approach. It was really cool. Um, at the TDA convention, I heard Dr. Seabury mentioned our vet's name and what we're doing. Um, 
we want to be a model for everyone else. There's so much, there's so much good for us in the future. Um, I I know this is going to be a hard time for a bunch of you. I feel like I've started to come out the other side of that. I think there's, I think there's a ton of opportunity in the future um, for our business, and and we we need to keep telling our story the best we can. And I I know it's challenging when you have a lot of this hanging over your head and you know, there's the emotional attachment to the animals. There's the financial aspect of, of how challenging this can be. And I I just, I, I wish, I wish everybody well, I, I, I can't, you know, if I can help in any way, I, I will. Um, I hope this, I'm going to wrap up. I, again, I can talk more. I could talk more about that. This is all I talk about. Um, I hope this conversation has helped or put in into perspective some of the things that, that I think, and I, I understand that we are not going to agree on everything. And, um, I've tried to be as tactful as I can at explaining my approach to things. Again, I hope it helps. If um, if I can help any of you at all, um, please let me know. And with that, stay tuned for another episode of North American Deer Talk. <laughs>